0: You're listening to A Stranger Podcast. www.thestranger.com
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary
0: Or if you're looking for sexual harmony Well, there's nothing you can't ask
1: On the Savage Podcast Okay, I have a problem. I am obsessed and... It's not like – it's not relevant. Michelle Bachman is surging in the polls, leading in New Hampshire, I believe now, and Iowa. Michelle Bachman could very well be the nominee. So I feel that on my little sex podcast that gives me license to continue to discuss Michelle Bachman's fabulous husband. And I'm, I'm sorry to do this to you. I've actually been thinking about it a bit. You know, I saw Jon Stewart's very funny program uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, where he – declared Marcus Bachman to be center square gay, which he said the day after Stephen Colbert called me weapons grade gay, all sorts of gay out there, some of it more honest than others. Anyway, thinking a little bit more deeply about Marcus Bachman and the reaction to him and what this is really evidence of for us culturally, and so I'm going to get a little Deep about. I'm gonna. I'm gonna burrow into Marcus Bachman. I'm gonna plunge in to Marcus Bachman in a way that I haven't before. I'm not gonna go out on a limb and say no man has plunged into Marcus Bachman before, but I haven't plunged into him quite lately. this. Anyway, I keep thinking about this. You know, gaydar is real. It used to be people talked about gaydar and being able to tell when people were gay, and people thought that that was just you know confirmation bias or. You know, looking for evidence of uh, people's, you know, swishiness or stereotypical gay traits. But what we know about Gadar now from the science of gaydar is that it's real. You can show people images, static images, just of a face on a neutral background. And with eerie precision, people can determine just on sight whether someone is gay or straight just by looking at a face to say nothing of w- observing the move. So gaydar is real. But once upon a time, a Marcus Bachman would have gotten a pass—a pass that Marcus Bachman isn't getting today. And here's why I think that is: you know, being a homosexual used to be considered the used to be considered so vile and so disgusting and so immoral and so criminal that a Marcus Bachman would be given the benefit of every doubt. Being gay. Once upon a time, back in the bad old days, kids, was literally the worst thing you could think about a person. So straight people, I guess to their credit, even though created the environment they did where it was the worst thing you could possibly think about a person, straight people went out of their way to avoid thinking it. Even when evidence of a man's gayness was on conspicuous display, straight people would refuse to see it, which explains why millions of blue-haired little old ladies went to their graves convinced that Liberace was straight. But times have changed. Straight people haven't just gotten used to gay people to openly gay people. Straight people have come to the realization that they prefer openly gay people to tormented closet cases. They would rather have a beer with Cam from Modern Family than a glass of champagne with Liberace in Vegas. And that's why Marcus Bachman, I believe, is being ridiculed so viciously by straight people like Jon Stewart. It's not because he's perceived to be gay. Jon Stewart doesn't have a problem with gay people. And it's not because he pings on everyone's gaydar, everyone on Earth's gaydar, save Michelle Bachman's. It's because Marcus Bachman is perceived to be dishonest. He appears to be this lying closet case, a lying closet case who's made convincing other gay people to join him in the closet and the lie, his life's work. And straight people don't like being lied to anymore. They used to. That used to be the deal. You lie to us. You pay us the courtesy of lying to us about your sexual orientation, and we will pay you the courtesy of pretending to believe you. But that's not the deal anymore. And that really kind of is the buzzsaw that Marcus Bachman is running into. Used to be you could be a closeted screaming queen, and straight people would pretend not to see what everybody could see. Not anymore. Sorry, Marcus. The gig is up. And now I'm going to pull out of Marcus Bachman. I'm going to leave this issue alone. I promise next week when you download the podcast and you listen, the top of the show will not be dedicated to Marcus Bachman. This barbarian is moving on.
0: I'm Dan and Rescue, I'm calling with a question about sleepovers. I'm a father of a 14-year-old daughter, and she came out to her mom and I. We're divorced, but very good friends and very much in sync on all parenting issues. She came out to us earlier this school year and has been together with uh, her girlfriend for the school year, and now it's the summer. And they're super cute girls. They're just they're wonderful to each other. Um, I couldn't ask for a better first relationship for my daughter. I uh, love her just like crazy. So the question is sleepovers. Um, early on in their relationship, we made a rule, her mom and I and the other parents, that they wouldn't have sleepovers together if it was just the two of them. If there were other girls around, great, but just the two of them, their sleepovers, basically I figured that if we're 14-year-old boys sleepover, I would say, oh, that would be the end of the story. Um, and everyone seemed fine with that. So now the school year and summer has gone by, and they've had a couple of sleepovers now where it's just wound up being the two of them. Whether another friend is canceled, and we haven't felt like canceling the entire sleepover, or one of us has had the girls, you know, late at night, and then they had plans together the next morning, and whatever parent had them just frankly didn't feel like driving across town to bring the other girl home. Uh, they're private school girl, so it's not like the next door neighbors, and so they've had a couple of sleepovers just the two of them, and I'm remarkably nonplussed about it. It doesn't bother me. But I wonder if it should. I wonder if 14 is too young for that. Um, I've talked to her about sex. Her mom has two. just trying to explain the difference between being physically and emotionally ready for a really serious sexual relationship. She assures us that they're not, but I don't... I think of myself as 14, and I can't imagine. I wouldn't be trying to have sex with my girlfriend. So... Am I crazy or we crazy allowing sleepovers at 14 with just the two of them? Um, Again, I feel like they're really smart girls. I feel like they're really respectful. They're really good to each other. But I just wonder if they're too young.
1: You know your kid better than I know your kid. If you believe that your daughter isn't sexually active and you trust her when she says that these sleepovers with her girlfriend are innocent, you're in a better position to make a call about that than I am. You know, one of the problems with teenagers who are out who want to have sleepovers can be that they're not out to everyone. They're not out to all their friends and to stigmatize a certain kind of sleepover or a certain friend coming over for a sleepover because you know that that friend is a girlfriend and not a friend could wind up outing your daughter to her wider social circle at a time in her life when she's not ready to be out to everyone about her lesbianism or bisexuality, whichever it is. So, you know, the onus is really on the parents of very young gay, lesbian, bi identified teenagers when it comes to issues like this, where you have to weigh, you know, the general parenting rule against sleepovers that could involve sex or sex partners uh, and respecting your daughter's right at this stage uh, of her coming out process to not want to be out or outed to everybody. Which is why, again, you don't want to stigmatize you know, a certain person coming over for a sleepover because you could not only then out your daughter to all of her friends at a time when she's not ready, but out your daughter's girlfriend to all of her friends uh, and potentially her parents as well if her parents aren't uh, as down with the lesbianism thing as your daughter's parents are. So I really think you need to case-by-case basis this one. Also, there's the option of daughter in her bedroom, girlfriend on the couch in another room with... Uh, Dad hopefully being a light sleeper and monitoring whatever uh, tiptoeing attempts there are at midnight visits. Good luck.
2: I'm a 35-year-old monogamous straight male but still a huge fan of sex-positive lifestyle. Thanks for freeing minds on your podcast. I'm calling about the story of Cody Brown of, of the show's sister wives and his polygamy lawsuit. Utah came to punish him not for multiple marriages but apparently just for living as one-man, four-woman couple. He only has one state-recognized wife. Because he's religious, the, the, quote, left, are jumping up to call this subjugation of women. I think we should be affirming the right to polyamory so long as there is no special reason to, to suspect sex slaves. There's a valid state need to keep marriage among two people, at least until we figure out the, uh, the confusing permutations of contracts and rights for multiple partners in a marriage. But this guy only has one wife. Uh, I'm looking for you as the uh, the harbinger of the parade of horribles to add some perspective to what is, I think, uh, study in sex positivity from religion.
1: I guess we need to prosecute Tilda Swinton, too, who lives with her husband and two children, a boy and a girl, and also has a male partner to whom she's not married. So it's not a bigamous relationship. She just also has a boyfriend who is a, a part of the family and has the blessing uh, of the husband, Tilda woman's husband. She's got two men in her life and two men in her everything else every once in a while, presumably. And no one's prosecuting her. And it just – it feels you know, dangerous for someone who's been advocating for marriage rights for same-sex couples because the nightmare scenario always trotted out by opponents of marriage rights for same-sex couples is, oh my god, then it's going to be bigamy and polygamy and people marrying frogs and dogs and cats. And we have to take these things on a case-by-case basis And we can have an argument about same-sex marriage and then move on to an argument about plural marriage or multiple marriages and take it one at a time. Just like we can argue about legalizing marijuana and then argue about legalizing heroin. We don't have to argue just about them both together, lumped together in some nightmare drug legalization scenario. That said, I don't think this guy should be prosecuted. He's married to one woman. He hasn't married two women. He's got three extra – Women In his life that he calls wives, he can call them anything he wants, he can call them toasters, they're not wives, and he hasn't married them. And they should be free to live however it is they want to live. The problem with a lot of bigamous, fundamentalist Mormon communities is that they are sort of the ritual enslavement slash brainwashing of teenage girls who don't really have a free choice about entering into these marriages, as we've seen with some of the prosecutions, Uh, rightly so, of men who've married very young women who were gifted to them by their fathers, basically. And that ain't right. But if consenting adults want to enter into this kind of relationship, I believe that they should have that right. And this prosecution is completely ridiculous, and I don't think it's going to ultimately go anywhere. And while I'm generally pro-freedom, there is kind of a liberal argument to be made against polygamy. And there was a great article earlier this year in May 2011 in the Walrus walrusmagazine.com, by Elizabeth Abbott, called to the exclusion of all others in a liberal society, is polygamy still intolerable? And I would encourage folks to give that a read.
3: Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 22-year-old straight girl, and I've been dating my boyfriend for about three years now. Um, We've been living about three hours apart for the majority of the relationship, and um, up until I got back from a semester abroad in May, everything was great. But um, all of a sudden when I got back, I just, I had this huge surge of independence there and I, I just have this urge to be single again. Um, I've, when I go out at night, I've made out with a lot of other guys. And um, as much as I know this is wrong, uh, because we are in a monogamous relationship, I don't really want to stop. And um, I know it's not fair to him, so I kind of want to end it problem is that he is going to surgery next week, which he is already incredibly um, depressed about. It's not going to be a really serious surgery, but he's going to be laid up for about three weeks. And uh, he's also going through some other really serious personal shit. So I feel like this breakup would really just him over the edge. Um, also, this would really blindside him. I don't think he has any idea that I feel this way. Um, If I wait a month or two for him to recover, I'm afraid that I might cheat again between then and now. Um, Yeah, so bad timing. I would really appreciate your
1: advice. It is a truth universally acknowledged that Newt Gingrich is a piece of fucking shit for serving his first wife with divorce papers when she was in a recovery room uh, for a cancer operation. So I think we can extend that universal truth to cover you and your situation. Your boyfriend that you've been with for a while is going into surgery. You say it's minor surgery, but he's very stressed out about it. You want to dump him now. What should you do? You should wait. Just a couple months, just till he's out of surgery and out of recovery, and then let him down easy whatever affection you felt for him that prompted you to get into this relationship in the first place allow that to sort of in a you know newly platonic form that he is of course not yet aware that it is a platonic form of love now allow that to flow out of you and wash over him at this time in, in his life when i presumably he's you know not making many sexual demands on you Because he's stressed out and going into surgery and, you know, whatever sexual demands he may be making on you, if you're not feeling it, I don't think you should do anything you're not feeling. So you should gently and kindly rebuff him as you take care of him and be there for him and be the friend that he does not yet know you are as opposed to the lover he presumes you to be. Wait a couple months, let him down easy. Don't be a newt.
4: Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling because I am a young gay man who um, has recently identified himself as a transgender person, and I am working on becoming a young straight woman. Uh, My question is that because this is a very long process, I don't exactly know when to tell uh, the people that I have been seeing, um, young gay men in their own right, um, that I am in the middle of my transitioning process. Um, I asked because I am seeing somebody now for a little over two weeks and um he has never seen me with my shirt off because I have made sure that he does not see it me with my shirt off. Um, I'm not even sure if he knows that I have nipples or not. Uh the point being that I can't keep going on hiding from this but I feel like I don't want to deceive uh, my partners. Um but I also don't feel like it's that big a deal because I'm presenting as a man uh, 90% of my life, except for when I go out. I'm really waiting to to go out as a woman when I'm ready and, and a little farther into it. I've only been on hormones for four months or so. So um, please call me back if you have any advice.
1: Before we get to your question, uh, caller, I just wanted to draw attention to... Recent spike in hate crimes against LGBT individuals, up 13%, uh, recently released port, a report that came out this week, says, and there's an interesting stat in that report. Last year's homicide count reached 27, up from 22 in 2009, and the second highest number of anti-LGBT homicides since the coalition began tracking such crimes in 1996. Uh, the report in the LA Times goes on, of those killed, the data show 70% were minorities and 44% Almost half the LGBT people who were murdered last year uh, because of their sexual identity uh, were transgender women. Those attacks also showed a higher level of brutality, the report concludes. Uh, Joining me to field uh, the call today, uh, this call about transgender issues, because I'd like to talk about more than just your transgender issue, transgender caller, but also transgender issues generally, is Eliza Gray, who is an assistant editor and uh, writer at The New Republic who recently wrote a very large and uh, interesting and I think uh, move the ball down the field kind of piece called Transitions, What It Will Take for America to Accept Transgender People for Who They Are. Joining me by phone, Eliza Gray. Thanks for coming on the show, Eliza. Uh,
5: thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad to be here uh, and happy to, to help um, with anything and field, any questions that people have. So
1: how did you get interested into the in the issue of uh, transgender rights?
5: Well, I it started out I was interested in writing about um, women who are uh, men who transition to, to, to women and learn to speak um, like women. Uh, there's a clinic at, at GW in Washington that does. This kind of speech therapy And I thought it was really interesting And then I met um, a woman who was Doing the the speech training um, Named Caroline Temerman Who's the subject of my story And she brought me with her To Maryland for a day On Valentine's Day this year um, A protest for uh, transgender rights For for a bill that was uh, being considered In Maryland which eventually did not pass But I got to know her And really felt after spending the day with her, that this was an issue that was really important and that a lot of progressive people that I knew and worked with um, really hadn't thought about this issue or or cared about it and didn't really understand how much discrimination transgender people face. And I felt that they needed to be introduced to the issue and think that it was as important as as I think it is.
1: So how bad is it?
5: I think it's pretty bad. Um, You know, I think... Beyond just the violence, I mean, you mentioned hate crimes just now. Um, The activists that I talk to in um, places like New York say that uh, a transgender person is murdered every month by their count. Um, And this is reports from a couple of different people. So it's very common. Um, And also, you know, in terms of discrimination that transgender people face in the workplace, In school with bullying Um, I think it was the most recent study from um, the gay and lesbian task force showed that you know a quarter of of the respondents had been fired from their jobs they they said because of their transgender status Um, and homelessness is a huge problem in the transgender community Um, mostly because transgender people have a really hard time, I think, getting employed. They often get evicted from their homes. Um, so there's a lot, there really is a lot of discrimination against transgender people. And um, I think, you know, the, beyond beyond that, for the people who do really well and don't lose their jobs, you know, they lose friends, they lose family members. Um, I know that's also probably true in the gay community as well, but I think for transgender people, it's you know, even more pronounced.
1: So what what is Um, it, what is it about this kind of uh, transgenderism that, that flips so many people out, including, you know, some gay and lesbian people I've known are, are flipped out by it.
5: Well, I think that, um, it, I think that there's maybe a a feeling, um, that it's strange. It still very much has an ick factor, um, surrounding it, um, maybe because it seems like um, such a a monumental um, change, and and we really do hold on to gender norms, you know, very, very dearly in this country. I mean, I think even if you look at the gay rights movement, you know, they've, marriage has been kind of the premier um, issue that they've rallied around at least sort of on the national advocacy level, which is great and it's a it's a really important issue, um, but it's a very sort of gender normative focus. It's like they're, you're focusing on something that's really about, you know, gender roles. And so I think that even in the gay community, um, you know, a, a strict adherence to gender roles seems to be... Um,
1: Something that's really important to us. But that said, I do I will concede that you know there are a lot of gay people out there who are obsessed with gender norms. You see it in personal ads with you know no femmes, and you see it you know with women who are attracted to butch women who feel ashamed because their relatives want to know if they're lesbians. How come they're not with real women? Why are they with these fake men? And you do see this sort of gender norm self-consciousness and sometimes hang-ups in the gay community. I just don't think they're attached to the marriage movement necessarily.
5: Yeah, I guess my my purpose um, in sort of thinking about it in the marriage context is that you see a lot of... uh, Andrew Sullivan did a piece for us um, on kind of the death of gay culture many years ago, which talked about this idea that, you know, you have, you know, a lesbian couple that lives in Provincetown and has their you know their kids and their two point five cars and their lawyer jobs and are are sort of there was this this moment in which the gay community and this isn't a bad thing at all, but it's sort of saying we're gonna we do things every everything we do is just the way you do it it's just that we happen to be attracted to someone who is of this of our same gender um that's the only difference where and that's fine and it's true and it's not a it's it's a good Um, thought. um, And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that for transgender people, you know, that they can't, that's not the case for them. It is There is a different, um, you know, they are challenging these norms in a really serious way. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to embrace in both the gay and straight community.
1: Well, I think it's worse in the straight community. Let's not bog down in the gay community. Um, There are certainly people with gender hangups in the gay community, but the violence seems to come and the discrimination and psychosis seems to emanate from straight land. What is it about transgenderism that so threatens so many heterosexuals and so many straight people and the society and our culture? Why is it so destabilizing? And, and why is there this desire to punish uh, up to you know assault and do and violence and murder people who who break these gender norms, shatter them?
5: I mean, honestly, I think in the case of heterosexual men, there's um, some, like some deep sort of um, maybe sexual hang-ups that they have. I mean, I talked to one transgender woman who's a really gorgeous, beautiful woman, and says that a lot of times she'll hear fights break out amongst men who one of them finds her very attractive and maybe flirts with her a little, and another man saying, "Oh, well, you know, that, that's actually I, I think that's really a man," which is, of course, not accurate in the transgender. To, to say that anyone is really I mean they are the gender that they that they present themselves as but I think that there's some kind of self-conscious you know fears about their own sexuality there I think another thing that might be contributing to it is this strange sort of social conservative idea that if there's a group of people who are living in a way that is different from the way that, that you might live that they're somehow going to impose that um, like you know on you, which I think is a ridiculous idea. Um, like you saw it with when J. Crew. I don't know if you saw this. J. Crew ran an ad with um, a little boy with pink toenails, and this wasn't a transgender issue at all. It was a little boy with pink toenails who pl-
1: um, mom was playing with him and painted his toenails. Mom was and the playing with him. Right wing freaked out like we were trying to that somehow J. Crew is trying to castrate every American child.
5: Right, or or the idea that J. Crew is trying to say that gender norms. You know, I I think on Fox News, the way they described it is this is hostile to to gender norms. They're trying to break it all apart. And from my point of view, you know, I don't see why they they can't all coexist. I mean, if people, I sort of think live and let live, you know, if people want to live by a certain, you know, set of expectations, I think that's fine, too. But the idea that, that somehow transgender people by maybe living, you know, By breaking this gender barrier is somehow going to destroy all, you know, gender classifications for the rest of the country, for the rest of, of, you know, it's just, it's insane. But I think there does seem to be some sort of fear um, from social conservatives about that, which I quite don't really relate to. But, you know, it's clearly very strong.
1: And so, you know, The New Republic is a magazine about politics, What's the political solution here? What what, what are you? What needs to change politically to ben- to protect uh, transgender people uh, from the discrimination that they face? Besides, you know, a trans inclusive enda. Besides, even uh, marriage equality, because there's cases where people who are transgendered aren't allowed to legally marry anybody, uh, as we've seen in Texas. One of the goals uh, for the movement, the LGBT movement, is a trans inclusive enda because trans people face Disproportionate workplace discrimination uh, in our community. But what else needs to happen that's really going to change the culture? Well,
5: I mean, I think politically, um, in terms of if, if you're actually talking about legislation, I think, um, you know, trans inclusive ENDA is obviously, I mean, ENDA has been really tough to pass. Um, and even trans inclusive or non trans inclusive, um, I think at the state level, there's a lot of, of encouraging stuff. Going, um, going along in the states. I think there's about to be 15 states. Um, I think Connecticut is still has not passed their sort of gender um, identity protections bill. Um, and I, you know, I think I'd like to see it happen in more states. Um, you know, a law that's passed that does protect uh, people from gender identity discrimination. Um, but I actually think, I mean, that. The real change that needs to happen is sort of a cultural shift. Um, You know, more transgender people need to become known to Americans, you know, in the workplace and, you know, in their lives and in their communities. And they are there. Um, They just need to be, you know, embraced to a greater degree by the community. Um, And I think one way... But you know, are you say, are
1: you saying they're there but they can pass and so a lot of people aren't aware that they're there? A lot of people don't know they know a transgender person?
5: I think that's part part of it. I think there are people who don't know that they know a transgender person. I also think there are transgender people who are afraid to self-identify because of how
1: the violence, really the discrimination. What the that it is? Right.
5: Yeah, and so even if they're transgender and they're passing, or if they're transgender and they just haven't gone through a transition because it's a really scary prospect, I mean, I think that that makes it a lot more difficult. I also think right now, you know, transgender people um, are often, you know, I like I, I w- met so many wonderful transgender people. Many of them, though, um, have done really been really successful in transgender ad- advocacy and things that are sort of outside of, you know, what I'd like to see is, is more transgender people that I know that are journalists, lawyers, doctors, um, just that are, that are out and talking and showing, you know, people that, that there's really nothing about this that should cause them any concern or worry or confusion. I think, I really think the majority of Americans, really the vast, vast, vast majority, if they got to know a transgender person, they would really not be worried or confused or afraid about it is that they are there's nothing i guess there's just absolutely nothing to be um i don't know concerned about here i mean it's a wonderful group of people just like any other group um so i think you know actually if, if you could see better uh, transgender representation on television and in movies i think that would be great a lot of times you see transgender people on you know television playing you know playing a character that is maybe, you know, known for just being transgender, and that's what the character is about. But wouldn't it be great if on a show like, I don't know, Grey's Anatomy or something, you could have a transgender doctor and have a lot of, and have the storyline not be about the fact that they were transgender, but just be about them and and have the tra- their transgender status be secondary. And I think that's one thing that would get people a lot further. Um Along. I think Oprah's done a lot of really great things actually for transgender people by having Chaz Bono come on and um you know one person I talked to who's from Alabama was saying that her mother was really able to accept that she was transgender because she was able to talk to the ladies at church about what they'd seen on Oprah that week. <laughs> so I think there there's a lot of cultural education that can happen that would be good.
1: Okay, speaking of trans people and being out, let's quickly uh, Dispatched with this caller who is transitioning and not out to her boyfriend. Her boyfriend, who right now assumes that he's with a gay guy who's taking hormones, who's four months into taking hormones, can't get naked in front of her boyfriend because her boyfriend doesn't know that she's a she. What do you think? Okay, as as, so, as america's perhaps you know highest profile transgender advocate right now on the basis of this really moving and very long article in the new republic what do, what's your advice uh for this woman
5: My advice is that honesty is a good is a is a good thing um and I think that I think that transgender people shouldn't at all feel like they should have to field questions about um you know their genitalia or anything like that from coworkers or strangers. I mean, that I think, you know, is not, is, should not be allowed. But I think that in the context of, you know, being with a partner, I think that's really the place where actually um, one's gender status is important because it is about sexuality. And if this person is with a gay man now, you know, the the person that they're with may may actually be totally fine with, you know, um, exploring a potential heterosexual relationship with this person um, as as she becomes a woman. Do you um, think? Do you think? Do
1: you think the caller is doing something wrong?
5: I don't think the caller is doing anything wrong. I no, do. I mean, I, <laughs> I.
1: I do. I think the caller is doing something wrong. If this is a one-night stand, I don't think she has any obligation to disclose uh, because there's no implicit promise about a future potential together. You know, the relationship isn't predicated on you know we're dating and therefore it's open-ended. You know, if you're dating and it's open-ended and in the very near future, you're going to start presenting as a different gender or living as a different gender, that's information that the person you're dating has a right to and withholding yeah. it is an act of deceit.
5: Yes, yeah. I I guess I sort of amend my thing. I do agree that it, it that this person should be honest because, as I, as you say, I mean, I, I guess I just want to say I can understand where this person's coming from. And I can why under,
1: I can understand. I can totally I can empathize risk. about the fear. It's the same fear that like let me you know when I was coming out, I didn't tell everybody all at once. I was cagey about who I was going to tell because because of the risk. But I think maybe this uh, woman doesn't realize it. The risk that you're running here is that, you know, a lot of times transgender people who no fault of their own a disclosure about being transgender should not elicit a violent response. But it's that moment of disclosure or realization on the, someone else's part that can elicit a violent response. So it's not just that this is deceitful. It's also risky because if right. the boyfriend, when he finds out, reacts with anger, the transgender woman in that instance is going to be vulnerable and i and i don't think that that's a risk that she should run for the sake of this relationship
5: I it just agree seems, that, it seems I also, a little
1: foolish yeah i agree with if, that. I I, if understandable do. foolish if understandable about the insecurity and the fear i just think that she's not gaming it out far enough to see her that see what she should really be afraid of which is the rea- the, the reaction that this guy might have when he does realize or when she does choose to disclose
5: yeah, I think that's definitely true. I also think if the relationship gets more serious and they sort of come to fall in love with each other, I mean, the amount of pain that that person, um, you know, will feel down the line when, you know, the person hasn't been entirely honest and when they do have to then de- come to the terms with deciding whether or not um, they think that, you know, entering into maybe a heterosexual relationship is something that they can even do personally. I mean, people can do it, but it is a really, really difficult personal choice. And I think that if this person this person is dating someone and, and leaving this potential for them to get serious, they're leaving the potential to really hurt another person. Um, and the second thing I'd like to say is, one thing the caller mentioned was that she felt uncomfortable taking her shirt off. Um, I mean, to me, that seems like a pretty unsatisfying Um, dating life you know if you can't feel comfortable and you're so inhibited in your sexual relationships I mean I think that would be really painful both for you and your partner I don't know what you think about that Dan but it just seems to me like I wouldn't want that kind of worry
1: I would agree Eliza Gray the article is transitions what will it take for America to accept transgender people for who they really are in the June New Republic thank you so much for joining us Eliza
5: Thank you, Dan.
6: Hi Dan. Uh I am a uh, twenty five gay male and um I have a cousin, uh a gay cousin actually who's just coming out and he's fourteen. And um I um was talking to him, um just informing him that I was there for him and be there for him and support him and I'm also gay, and uh, he can talk to me whenever. And, uh, well, uh, we were talking face-to-face, and he actually offered, well, he wanted to ask me a question. The question was that, basically, if I could have sex with him, just for him to know or experience, you know, um, what gay sex is, because he hasn't really experienced it that much, um, but I told him um, that uh, that uh, I couldn't um, or that I didn't want to because of the fact that the age difference between me and him, obviously, it's kind of illegal, um, but also I wanted him himself to experience um, those sexual experiences with another person his age and, you know, for him to grow up and if he's still interested... He, he, ask me again when he's 18, when he's of age. Um, I remember a show that you, a a podcast that you did, um, talking about how sexual contact with cousins is okay. Um, but for me personally, uh, it's just the age difference. Um, the fact that I myself was molested when I was six or seven. Um, and the person who molested me was also molested. So it's kind of a cycle of molestation. So, um, I, I feel I didn't want to do that to him. Um, and, uh, I just wanted to know what you think, what your thoughts are, um, about the age difference with gay men. Um, is it healthy, um, for, uh, older gay men to be, I guess, have a sexual relations with a teenager, like, you know, 14 to eight and up?
1: You have to decide what role you're going to play in your cousin's life. It is not always inappropriate for an older person to have A relationship, a sexual relationship with a younger person. Cousin marriage, first cousin marriage is legal in half of these United States and legally recognized in all of these United States. Even states where it is illegal to marry your cousin will recognize the legality of a cousin marriage performed in another state. Just wanted to point that out. And in this case, though, I really feel that you need to step up and be this kid's confidant, mentor and not fuck this kid. Even if you were unrelated and by the time he was 18, you were 28 or 29, uh it might not be wrong as long as the campsite rule was being strictly observed for you to be intimate with this kid. He's your cousin. You have access to him in a way that is potentially creepy that uh, a kind of access and power that could be abused and you don't want over the next four years as you're you know giving him advice and helping him out and being there for him to be subconsciously on your part grooming him nor do you want him to be viewing you as a potential sex partner and he may be as many young gay kids are nervous and anxious to get his first sort of gay experiences under his belt Because, you know, when I was 14, I thought, God, I really want this to happen because how does this work exactly? You don't want him to be wheedling uh, and attempting to seduce you over those years while you are mentoring him. So I think what you need to do is give him a call and make it very clear that it's not going to happen and it's never going to happen, that you're going to be there for him. You will be his older, wiser, gay relative. You will never be his lover, and you will never marry him in those states where gay cousin marriage is legal, if not legally recognized, and the rest of them. Tell him that you want to help him out with his coming out process and that when he finds a boyfriend, if he needs advice about sex or someone to talk to about what his boyfriend is asking him or telling him, you are there for him. But you will never be there on top of him. You have to pick a role. And uh, I think the role you're having thrust upon you is a role with no thrusting into him ever. And that's the role you should accept and you should be responsible and loving and keep your hands off him. And we're not going to leave it there. Usually we have a few response calls and I wrap it up with an, and we're going to leave it there. Not this week. We have one last call for the podcast. This call is for one listener of the podcast, the Savage Lovecast, and one listener only. This one goes out to Rachel, a listener and a fan in Miami. And it is a question for Rachel from Adam her boyfriend of three years, and here it is.
0: Hey, Rachel, this is Adam. Our relationship has literally been all over the place since we first met. We sparked things up in Australia and then continued our courtship in L.A., South Carolina, and now Miami. Through all the place changes, though, I found that you remain remarkably the same. You're always funny, intelligent, warm, alarmingly kind, and, of course, ridiculously beautiful. I love your ability to imitate all manner of animals, your expert nonverbal communication skills, and the way you make me smile just by glancing over your shoulder at me. There was no one I'd rather spend the rest of my life with, and I promise we'll never stop having adventures or watching Jeopardy every chance we get. So what do you say? Will you marry me?
1: All right, there you go, Rachel. Normally there's only one person who's interested in the answer, but in this case, we are all interested and what your answer is going to be, Rachel. Please give us a buzz, 206-201-2720. That's the number here at the podcast. For everybody else, if you have a question or a comment for a future show, give us a call. For Rachel, we need an answer, 206-201-2720. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com, and you can get the Savage Love app for iPhone and Android out there on the interwebs. App for iPhone at the iPhone store and the Android app is at the Android store where it is ha fu- pu- re unlike the iPhone app, which costs eight zillion dollars. 206 201 give us a buzz. Me and the tech savvy at risk, youth, and Rachel. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.